So um, Steve Covey is a, uh, I assume that he still is, but was a time management guru and kind of helped companies set priorities and evaluate, you know, the cost of everything. And so he was in a seminar and he did this, um, he, he did this exercise and he pulled out this really large plastic clear container. And he filled it with big rocks. And so when he filled it all the way to the big rocks, all the way to the top, he asked everyone in the, in the seminar, is the, is the jar full? And everyone said, it's full. He said, no, it's not. He reached under the table, and he pulled out a big bucket of gravel, and he started pouring the gravel into the jar, and it filled between the big rocks and empty spaces, right, until there was nothing in there but gravel and big rocks. So then he said, so is it full now? And they all said, yeah, it's full. And he said, no, it's not. He reached under his uh, table, and he pulled out a bucket of sand. And he poured the sand into the, cont- uh, the big container between the big rocks, between the gravel. The sand went into crevices and filled up the container. So then he asked one more time, is it full? And by this time, they're a little gun shy. But they all said, surely it's full. It's full. And he said, no, it's not. So then he pulls out a big bucket of water, and he pours water between the big rocks, between the gravel, between the sand, and all the crevices, and asks, now is it full? And nobody was afraid to answer. So finally he said, it's absolutely full. So then he began to talk about the exercise, and, and so as he began to talk about it, he said, you know, this is about priorities, and priorities are about a cost. And what you have to decide in anything and in any endeavor is what is your priority. And you do that first. And, 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 if, and once you figure out your priorities, then there are other things that fall into place, but you always have to make sure everything goes in its right order. Had he put the sand in first, nothing but sand would have fit. Had he put the gravel in first, nothing but gravel would have fit. Had he put the water in first, nothing but water would have fit. But because he put the big rocks in, there was space for other things. There is a cost for everything. When you go to the store, you ask yourself two questions. How much does this cost? That's the question I always ask. How much does this cost? And then when you figure out how much it costs, you always ask yourself the second question. Even if you don't say it out loud, you ask yourself this question. Am I willing to pay that price? They always do. No one, no one outside of Solomon just picks stuff up and buys things and kids. That's different too they don't care about stuff like that but for the rest of us how much something costs matters and so when we when we're in this idea of of who's your one we have to understand that there's a cost with 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 the one and the one is a priority of the church the one should be the priority of your life our job my job is to repeat me to double me that's my job my job is not to Reach 200 people, my job is to reach one. And if we all do our job, this kingdom dream God has for his church starts to unpack. But it's all about priorities, and it's all about the cost. And so here's the question we're going to jump off today. The question is, who's your one, and are you willing to pay the cost of the one? And remember, everything comes with a cost. Everything comes with a price, and we have to decide if we're worth it. So when Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost, he didn't just say that, there was a cost to that. That statement, that, that statement that 
by Jesus, that proclamation, that declaration came with a cost. And it cost him his life. It cost him separation from his father in heaven. It cost him everything. But he had to decide, am I willing to pay that price? And he was. And luckily for us, he did. He paid the price for us. And so because this is true, we, we had all these lost people who became found people. And, and the simplest way to talk about you know, evangelism, the simplest way, the way that's easiest for me, is simply this. Found people, find people. So if you weren't, if, you're, if you used to be lost and now you're found, your job as a found person is to go find people who are lost, who are just like you. Now what we're going to discover today is there's all different kinds of lost. But what we need to understand is there's a cost to this decision. There's a cost that we have to pay. And when you go to the store and you decide, how much does this cost? Am I willing to pay the price? No. And you walk away. And sometimes you can just walk away. It's no big deal. Sometimes, like for me, I have no heat in my car right now. And I've not gotten to the point yet of deciding if I'm willing to pay the cost. And the answer is probably going to be no. Long story. But here's the deal. But when you don't pay the cost, there are consequences. So when it comes to the church, when we decide we're unwilling, we are going to be unwilling, this whole one thing, that sounds great, but it's not for me. Okay? And now, and we always think, well, that's just me. No one else is thinking like me. What if 10 people do? What if 20 people do? What if 50 people do? What if one person does? So here's what we need to understand. This is the cost that comes. When we are unwilling to pay the cost of one, this is what happens. Broken people remain broken. Drifting people continue to drift. And lost people go straight to hell. And that's a fact. Our community, our area, our county is filled with people who are broken. Which, you know, let me remind you, this building right here is filled with people who are broken. I mean, we, we're all broke. Broke is broke. Some things are more obvious than others. But broke is broke. Broken people, when, we are, when we're unwilling to pay the cost of one, when it's not my deal, it's not my mission, it's not what we're here for, there's other things more important to me than that. I wor- I'm more concerned with the gravel and the sand and the water than the big rocks. Broken people, they remain broken. And, and broken people don't find out that there's a place where you can gather with other broken people where we can get healthy together. People who are drifting through life and drifting away from the church, some of which aren't in church anymore because they just quit going. I had a conversation with someone this past week uh, who, who kind of connected the dots for me of who they, you know, we had knew a common person. And this person said to me, he's been drifting for a long time. I hope you can anchor because I've not been able to. There are people you know who are drifting through life and they're drifting away from God or they're just drifting without God. And when we're unwilling to pay the cost of one, people who are drifting, they just keep drifting. You know what happens if you, if you go out to, out to sea and you just don't pay attention to where you are? You drift. And if you're like my brother and I, which is a whole story for another day, you wake up, you look up one day and you're one mile down the beach and don't know how you got one mile down the beach, which is a scary thing. And lost people, they go to hell. So I'm going to tell you a story, retell you a story today, and we're going to, it's in the book of Luke. We're going to go back there today in Luke chapter 15. We see the story, uh, it's called the story of the prodigal son, or the story of the lost son. But I want you to consider this story differently. Because this story is not about one lost boy. It's about two. 
It's about two lost boys. Now, they were kind of lost in different ways and, and, and through different circumstances, but here's what we need to understand. Lost is lost. And when someone's lost, they need to be found. So it doesn't matter if you're broken lost and doing all kinds of what, or you're just lost because you're kind of drifting away. Lost is lost. And this story is a story of two lost boys and a father who loved them both. So it is, there is a prodigal, but there's a, a brother. So let's dive into this thing, okay? So beginning in chapter, Luke, uh, chapter 15 of Luke, verse 11. A man has two sons. The youngest son told his father, I want my share of, the inher- of your estate now before you die. That's pretty bold, isn't it? Um, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. There he wasted all of his money in wild living. So let's talk about this. Because if that happened today, and your ki- imagine your kid coming in going, all right, I know you're healthy and everything, but I want what's, what's going to be mine later. If my kids had reached in my pocket and said, whatever you can find, take it. It's yours. In this culture, when, when someone passed, when a landowner passed away, it went to the kids. Everything went to the kids. All right, not the spouse, to the children. But here's the way it was divided. So there's two sons, which means that the property's divided and the wealth and everything's divided in three-thirds. The oldest boy, because it's an oldest son culture, got two-thirds. The youngest got one. He is entitled to one-third of his father's estate. His older brother is entitled to two-thirds. Now, if there had been... Uh, five, they'd been dividing six, and two six to one, and everyone else would have got a six. It's just how it works, okay? The oldest kid got the most. Wasn't fair if you weren't the oldest kid. I'm the oldest kid, so I'm hoping my mom does that, because that'd be great for me. And so he left. He, and, he, and he left, and he did. You can only imagine. If you want to imagine what this boy did, I can't. you just cannot imagine. Imagine the worst most defiled things you can think of. That's what this boy did. And we don't know how long he was gone, but we know that he was gone for a long, long time. And he was away from his father's house because he didn't want to pay the cost of staying in his father's house. He wanted to do his own thing in his own way. And sometimes, as a parent, much like the conversation I had with my son yesterday. My son is 25. I don't parent. I just get advice. And he does with it whatever he wants to do. And he and I had a conversation yesterday, and I said, are you asking me? He said, yeah. So I told him what I thought. If he would not asked me, I wouldn't have told him what I thought. Because it's not my job to parent him anymore. He's raising his own daughter. So here's the thing. Everything comes with a cost, and the cost of one has a cost that we as found people need to figure out if we're willing to pay. And that is this. The cost of one requires weekly worship to become a priority. The cost of one requires that we show up at our Father's house. Now, I don't mean, I don't mean a building. I, I mean people. Okay, We're the church. This is just a building. And when we move up the road... That'll just be a building, too, and we'll be the church. And if the place burned down tomorrow and we went somewhere else next week, the church is where we go. But the cost of one, the cost of one requires that showing up is a priority, that it matters. 
imagine inviting someone to something that you're not going to. Hey, let's go to this party. Great. You can be there. Nope. Well, you're not going to the party? No, but I want you to go. I mean, it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. We're going to have a good time there. But you're not going? Nope. Uh-uh. I'm not going. And that's how I invite people to parties, but that's a whole different conversation too. So, But here's the thing we need to understand this. Now, think about this. If being present and involved in weekly worship is not your priority of yours, in other words, if being involved in worship is not a priority of you, how will it be a priority for your wife? How can it be? If it's not important to you, it's not going to be important to them. And we live in a culture where, according to George Barna, who's this guru of re- church researchers, that, that people who attend church one out of six times, a mo- uh, one out of every six weeks, consider, consider themselves committed. One out of six. 19 times a year. Imagine going to work 19 times a year and see if you had a job. Or going to school 19 times a year and see if your kid was still enrolled in school. We live in a culture where people who love the Lord and love the church are super busy. It's tough. And it's not all bad. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that. Um, I like going on vacation. I like vacation a lot, 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 lot. Um, I spent three days on the road because there was this little five-month-old little, little girl that's more important to me than football. And that's saying something. We live in a world where people who love the Lord and love the church are sometimes too busy to get there. And that's a fact. So what are we going to do about people who don't love the Lord, who don't love the church, who are equally as busy, and don't have that as a priority? It's important that we're here when we get to be here. And what this boy figured out was that when he's away from his father's house, man, he could do what he wanted to do. Because there's something about being held accountable when you show up. Now look, showing up in church doesn't make you saved. It doesn't make you a good person. It just makes you present. Okay, so we, we need to get past all that. Being here doesn't make you saved. Doesn't make you better than anyone else. Doesn't make you anything but present. It's what you do while you're here and what you do on the seven days in between that matters. It's got to be a priority. But we also have to make another decision. And this is one the boy had to make. We need to, the cost of one requires us to make a decision. What kingdom are we going to build? And this boy decided to build his own kingdom instead of his father's kingdom. Okay, so let's look at his story. So, verse 14, about this time, the, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. Verse 15, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into his field with pigs to feed the pigs. So let's understand what's happening here. The son of the rich man who didn't want for anything in his life suddenly has nothing. And no one to take care of him and no one around him to give him anything. Can you imagine what it would be like if the bottom fell out, did not have someone who would say, got a place for you? If the bottom of my life fell apart, I can think of 10 people right now who would, that I could just show up at their house with no explanation. And if I thought harder, there'd probably be more. But imagine being so broken and had drifted so far that you are, you've lost everything, and it's your fault, and you have nothing. 
And you have no one who cares. Well, there's someone who cares. But they're a long way from where you are. Now, to compound this, we've learned a lesson about brokenness. And the, the more broken we become, the more desperate we become. The more desperate we become, the more we would do things we would never do. And for a Jew to be a pig farmer would never happen in Israel. It would never happen because pigs were unclean and they had nothing to do with pigs. Gentiles raised pigs. Jews were shepherds. That's how it works. It's farming. That's how it works. But that's not even as bad as it gets. Verse 16, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. No one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. So the son of the rich man realized that in his father's house, servants live like kings. They live like kings. They didn't have just enough. They had more than enough. They were blessed with more than they needed. And here he was, the son, who just took all that for granted. And so he realized there was some place he could go, but he was going to have to swallow his pride. So verse 18, I will go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So, the boy says, I'm going to go home and say, Dad, I just want to be a slave. Yes, we are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go with him. Man. Sounds like a sibling rivalry, rivalry but it's really so much, so much more than that. So the picture is the lost prodigal who has done Lord knows what with who knows who has come home. Daddy's throwing a party because his son is home. Older boy doing what he's supposed to do, where he's supposed to be, doing his job. Ticked off. Just ticked off. Because... His brother came home, but he didn't care if his brother was home because here's the deal. He didn't care if his brother left. Here's the story of the older brother in a nutshell, and this is what makes him lost. He didn't care if his lost brother had been found because he didn't care if his lost brother had ever been lost. He didn't care if his lost brother had been found. He didn't care if he'd ever been lost. And I think there are a lot of people, a lot of Christians, who care about a lot more things that are not as important as lost people. And I think the way you know that is if, if lost people aren't a priority to you, then can you really say you care about lost people? My kids are a priority to me. Um, except for one period of time, I've prayed for my kids every day. Their whole lives and before they were born. I started praying for my granddaughter before she was born, before my son met my uh, daughter-in-law, before they were married. I started praying for my, and I've been praying for their next kid and their next kid and their kids and so forth and so on because it's important to me. Because if something's worth it, we'll pay the price. 
And if our lost family members and our lost friends and our lost coworkers are not important to us, we will not pay the price. But here's the, and so when the church doesn't pay the cost, we take the container, we dump the big rocks out, and we fill it with anything else, gravel, sand, water, doesn't matter. And we fill it with other stuff that's important to us. But nothing else fits in there. We have to decide if we're willing to pay the cost of the lost. And this boy, he was not. Which made him as lost as his brother was, just a different kind of lost. And lost is lost. It's hard to become hard. And so his father goes to him. And his brother starts whining about all the things his father hasn't done for him, right? He says, look, everything I have is yours. This is yours. You're working for you. I have given you, remember, he divided his inheritance between both brothers. He gave the older brother what was his and the younger brother what was his. He said, everything here is yours. It's yours. Then he said this. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and came back to life. He was lost. He's found. I love the way the New Living says that. Your brother was dead. And now he's not. Because that's the reality. If you want to figure out if lost people matter, here's, here's let me you know put it this way. You're either alive in Christ or dead without him. And alive is alive, and dead is dead. The only way that someone who's outside of Christ, who's dead, becomes alive is to accept Christ. The way that happens is we connect people to Jesus. That's how it happens. It's why I'm here today. And I'll bet you, every one of you have a story like that. And we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But here's what we need to understand. The cost of one demands a high price. We have to decide if we're willing to pay it. We just have to decide if we're going to pay the cost of the one. Corporately, yes, but it all starts with me and it all starts with you. It starts with us. So there's a story. It's one of my favorite stories, and I have a bunch of favorite stories, but this is the legend that's told of the day Jesus went back to heaven. I don't know if you've ever heard this or not, so if you haven't, uh, great. If you have, bear with me. So the legend is told of the day that Jesus went back to heaven after he resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven. And when he gets into heaven, the angels greet him, and they, you know, they love him, and they worship him, and, and he's there, and they, and they all want to, you know, touch, you know, the holes in his wrist and in his feet, and they just want to talk to him about what he went through. You know, and one angel says, you know, I was ready. If you said the word, we'd come down, we'd kill them all. We, we'd kill them all. All you had to do is say the word. We were, the army was ready. We were horsed up. We were coming down. And so they start to talk with Jesus. They said, well, well, so now you've come back to heaven, now what? He said, well, there's these, these people down there that I've told them my story, and they've experienced my story, and I died for them, and they saw me after I was uh, alive. After, and so now it's up to them. They're going to do the hard part. To which one of the angels said, no, well, wait a minute, Jesus. You mean 
You mean you're not going back? Well, one time. When it's time to bring everybody back to heaven. So what are you going to do? Well, we're going to get heaven ready. Well, when are you going back? I don't know. When my Father in heaven says, go back, I'm going back. But until then, we're going to get heaven ready. That's what we're going to do. We're going to get heaven ready. You're not going back? No. One time. Angel says, I don't understand. What's, what's your backup plan? He says, well, here's the deal. I've taken my sword, and I've taken my reputation, and I've taken my character, and I've put it in their hands. To which an angel said, what happens if they don't do their part? To which the lady says, I guess heaven will be empty. Because I have no other plan. You know what the cost of one is? It's really simple. Jesus took his life, his character, his story, and he put it in your hands. And he put it in my hands. And we're accountable for what we do and how we live. And we're accountable of whether we pay the cost of one or we don't. We're accountable. There is no plan B. There is no other way this is going to work out. If we don't do what we're supposed to do, heaven remains And I look around, and I see people um, in our community, people in my family, people that funerals that I've gone to that I knew I would never see that person ever, ever again, ever, because they were lost and didn't accept Christ. I don't want heaven to be empty. I want heaven to be full. It all comes down to this, answering the question, who's your one? Who's the one? Do you have a one? And are you willing to pay the cost of that one? Lord, we are um, we are cost-driven people. And I think you put that in us. We consider what something costs. We, we consider if it's worth it. If it's worth it, we invest in it. We pay the price. If not, we don't. It's just the way we are. You considered us so valuable that you sent your son to die for us. And all of you ask in return, we give our lives to you. And we pay the cost of that one person in our life that's not done that. That's all you ask. That's it. Lord, I pray that individually, Collectively, as your church, we will always, always prioritize the lost and pay the cost. For the people you're going to put in our path, Lord, the people you have already put in our path, we are grateful and we are thankful. Lord, if you've not done that yet, I pray that you will just continue to put people in our path. Because that's why we're here. That heaven will be full and not empty. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand now. We're going to have a time of decision. Uh, if you need to take your next step of faith, we'd love to talk to you about that as we sing.
child before uh, you're dismissed from here. Uh, don't forget about Operation Christmas Child. It's really important and a big deal. It's not just a box. It's making a difference in child's life. That, that's what it is. It's not just a box. So get one, get ten, whatever you can afford to do, uh, but make a difference in some child's life somewhere who needs somebody to make a difference in their life. So I hope you'll do that. Also, on the back of your uh, order of services, a reminder about Saturday, uh, fall, uh, fall Family Fun Day at uh, Durant's house. Soon the grass will be cut by then. Right? We hope. All right, if you want to go help Andy cut the grass, it takes about eight days to go help him out. Uh, but there's all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, check that out. I hope you'll plan to be here for that as well. All right. This is really important. Behind me, almost directly behind me, there's a room full of stuff. Some people call it treasure. Some people call it junk. Call it what you want to. But that room is about to be empty. Uh, there's an organ in there, apparently, and all kinds of other stuff. If you want something out of that room, you have two weeks to get it. And after two weeks, if you ask where it is, I'm going to tell you I don't know because I'm not going to ask where it's going. Uh, if you want something, if there's something in that room and you can claim it and it's yours, go take it. Seriously about the organ, if that's something that's important to your family and you want to keep that, please talk to Chip Weaver and, uh, and let him know that. But here's the catch, then you're going to have to make arrangements to come get it, okay? So, we'll, so if you want to do that, we hope that you will uh, take advantage of that as well. Uh, we need candy for the fall festival, so we hope that you'll bring your candy in as well. And uh, last but not least, I know it went out uh, this morning. You may not have seen it, and but many of you know um, Stephanie Farmer uh, passed away. Uh, so please be in prayer for her and her family. We're going to pray for them uh, before we uh, dismiss, okay? I uh, hope you guys have a great rest of the day and a great week. And let's pray. Father, we are grateful that we don't have to wonder when we pray if you're listening because you're always listening. You always care. You care more than we can ever imagine. Lord, for uh, the family of Stephanie Farmer, we pray that you will comfort them. Pray that you will surround them with people who will assure them they are loved and cared for. Um, I just pray, Lord, you'll send somebody who will make an eternal difference uh, for their family. Um, Lord, we just pray that all that we say and do, we would honor you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are dismissed.